It's Vancouver's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Fay, hub builder and co-host of British Columbia's podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs from across Canada. We talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen here so you can listen, discover, and engage. Super excited to welcome Christine Hall with us today. Christine Hall is a registered clinical counselor and she has her master's of art and counseling psychology. Uh, She is a practicing psychologist and I have the privilege of working alongside Christine in a co-working space. So I've gotten to know her pretty well. We're both Leos, have the same birthday (laughs) and I know that she's super colorful. So I uh, look forward to introducing you to her. Christine, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Angie. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. I always find it interesting when practitioners are managing their business independently as an entrepreneur, as as opposed to within a system. So can you share a little bit about your journey? That's a really good question. Why do practitioners uh, choose to work independently? I have very strong beliefs around this. A lot of systems are really slow to change. Um, That's something that I have always sort of struggled with. Um, I actually just recently wrote a blog uh, entitled, um, We've Always Done It This Way, because that is a statement that drives me crazy. Um, (laughs) And when we're dealing with things um, like mental health issues, you know, there's trends, right? Right now we're dealing with um, the fallout of COVID. That's a trend. So if we're going with protocols and procedures that that were in place 20 years ago, they're not really relevant now. And so when we're working with systems like the health authorities, and, you know, I don't want to hack on the health authorities, but things are very slow to change. So, you know, if there's a trend with stuff with social media, with young people nowadays, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. These kind of trends can happen Mm -hmm. so quickly that by the time we get approval for the higher ups of implementing, say, you know, a relevant group therapy program or something like that, you know, that could have already um, transpired, right? Right. And so it's those kind of things that drive me crazy. I used to work for um, a youth and family agency in Cowichan, and I had a phenomenal, I have to give her a plug, I had a phenomenal executive director there, Michelle Bell. And what I loved about her is whenever I would come to her and I'd say, look, I'm noticing this with the families I'm working with, and it just seems more effective if I can get them all in one room and I can implement the same curriculum to everybody at the same time. And, you know, she'd say, sure, do you want to take that on? Absolutely, I'll take it on. I'll write all the curriculum. And, you know, within two weeks, I'd be able to deliver the content. So that's the kind of stuff that I get really passionate about. So I hate the roadblocks of working for systems within systems within systems that are very slow to change. (laughs) And hence, you've decided to work independently. But uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how you even decided to be a counselor. I mean, this is a it's a personal personal journey and story, is it not? It is, and there's a lot. There's sort of a lot of moving pieces as to what came together for me. Um, my practice is called Black Sheep Counseling. I've always felt like the outsider in my family, the black sheep. So I've always gravitated towards people and communities that have sort of been othered as well. I became immersed in the queer culture at 15. I used to hang out at gay bars at 15, <laughs> you know, which, you know, I, I, I don't promote that as young people to be hanging out in bars, but really the gift that that provided for me at that time was a sense of belonging. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we were embraced. There was me and a bunch of sort of alternative teenagers and, and we were really embraced and we felt safe. You know, we were kind of the kids in the room and, and it felt good and it felt good. So, you know, really we're all looking for that sense of belonging. And unfortunately, you know, some young people do sort of gravitate towards gangs for this exact reason, right? right? Or towards, um, you know, drug culture for that exact reason. So there's that piece. And I always worked in environments too that were sort of like a little sort of fringy. I worked in the film industry. And back then in the early 90s, I'm aging myself, I was the only female that worked in um, the art department at that time. So again, I was kind of like on the outside and having to prove myself or I got a job because somebody wanted to sleep with me. And, you know, there was always that kind of that extra step to prove myself. Same thing with working in the bar industry. I worked in the bar industry for a really long time. And back then um, there were no female bartenders. I was told that I couldn't bartend because chicks cry. Uh, And it's so funny. You go into a bar now and it's predominantly females that are behind the bar. But back then it wasn't like that. Hmm. And so, again, it was always like, oh, damn it. Like, I'm I'm a bit (laughs) of a social justice warrior here. So as soon as something reeks of like (laughs) discrimination, I'm 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 right there. And, you know, being in the bar industry, too, you meet, you know, bartending is kind of like junior counseling anyways. Really, I have you know, worked in many a pub and hospitality myself, <laughs> so I can relate. Absolutely. And, and I like that. And, you know, one of the things that that taught me was I love to hear people's stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of felt like we can learn something from every single person that we meet, whether we want to or not. Sometimes it's something that we're seeking to learn. But um, I think that just made me really interested in human beings and their story and the resiliency of the human spirit is really quite remarkable. It is. Well, and this is a good time to be talking about that. Um, I just <laughs> want to ask a little bit about really your focus areas are trauma and couples counseling. Trauma and couples counseling, which um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of crossover in that. So, you know, a lot of couples sort of they struggle with connection and it's because they lack the understanding of the other person's worldview, right? So when we know better, I really feel like we can do better. So if I understand that you, Angie, has a trigger around a certain thing or a certain behavior, then I'm not going to take that personally when you get upset, right? I'm not going to look at you and go, geez, what's your problem? I'm going to go, oh, that's her thing. Yeah, she, you know, that she doesn't like dogs or whatever, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I work with couples, oftentimes I'll find out that you know, maybe one of them had a traumatic past or they had, um, you know, a childhood that um, that was sort of, you know, entrenched in chaos and stuff like that. So those early life experiences really shape how we show up in later uh, relationships. And so, you know, when I can um, sort of work in both those worlds, I find that not just the relationship between the couple is enhanced, but the relationship within oneself is enhanced because they start to understand and they have more compassion for self and for others. Well, one thing that you and I have sort of talked about uh, over the coffee pot is um, maybe when there's not quite such a self-awareness is always a challenge. So you might not know what your triggers are or what you might need is when you get triggered, um, you need the other person to step up and actually not be empathetic as opposed to 
confrontational or saying that's not what I need when when you're being triggered? How how do you navigate that as a, as a counselor? <laughs> Well, and, and, and that's something that I, I'm laughing a little bit because um, the concept of boundaries always comes up, right? Whether it's personal mm -hmm. work or it's in couples therapy. And what have, if somebody, you know, hasn't um, learned how to assert healthy boundaries, and that's the journey that we're on is learning um, healthy boundaries. And it's always funny because if, if you have loose boundaries or really rigid boundaries, and then we start to um, unpack this, oftentimes people will go to the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's like, if you were saying yes to everybody, all of a sudden you're like, no, hard no, hard no. And so, you know, I, I, I do think that we need to have a little bit of grace and humor with this because it is a learning process. It's sort of like, you know, that when people quit smoking, they're the hardcore, don't smoke around me people, right? right. And, and to just rec recognize that it is a process, right? So, you know, it's kind of like Goldilocks. We're trying to figure it out. We were a little too much in this area. And maybe now, right now, we're sort of exploring the, the, the opposite side, and then we're going to try to figure it out, what feels right, and connecting that, am I doing the hard no because I'm, I've decided I'm asserting healthy boundaries, or is it embodied no? Is it, you know what, actually, I'm okay with that. Yesterday, I wasn't, but I, I'm, I've checked in with myself and my body sensation, and I'm okay with saying yes today. So just because we said no tomorrow doesn't mean that we, you know, boundaries are so flexible and fluid that they change all the time. You know, what's what's fine one day might not be the next day because, you know, your kid was sick all night and you're sleep deprived. And I guess that's bringing in context and of what's happening around you and how you respond to things, which I think is apt timing to jump in. You and I uh, were talking about, uh, I'm just going to read sort of a little bit of dialogue between us about the importance of you know being in a tribe which we talked about the gangs the the group that where you can feel comfortable and be yourself but when we're looking at behaviors that are rooted in shame or attacking other people um, to discharge pain and shame yeah. I wanted to talk about that a little bit today because as you and I discussed earlier is you know, sometimes you're the one going through shame or pain or guilt and and you need your tribe to sort of step up and support you in those moments. Yeah. The challenge in this day and age today, and, and I understand that this too shall pass, but today is everybody is experiencing some level of pain and shame in this post-COVID era or, or we're in it, sorry, not post-COVID, we're in this COVID yeah. era where there's massive disruption. Yeah. So whether it's, you know, parents now having to take on role of teachers and, you know, time, I mean, there's just more being dealt with. You're working from home, you're having to deal with a partner more hours in a day than you might be comfortable with to first responders, to healthcare practitioners like yourself who are, you know, really dealing with a different level of intensity and, but everybody's going through it. Yeah. So how to cope and how to put some context from your perspective around how to behave so that we're not sort of discharging shame and blame and and keeping some personal accountability in this role i call it the covid coaster time yeah so <laughs> i have lots to say about this um <laughs> so i think one of the first things is to recognize that this covid thing is inducing fear because it's uncertainty. 
the reality is life is is really full of uncertainty but this is particularly um you know it, it it's it's right in our face uncertainty will we ever get to go on vacation to you know again will we ever get to be in the classroom again can we hug our loved ones like you know there's a lot of pieces to that and when we um you know when we've gone through trauma and when we have um scary things happen there can be a real uh desire for certainty like right wrong black white um you know i'm i'm rejecting all of the advice from the health professionals with covid or oh my god i'm calling out everybody in my building because they're not following the rules right, right. right. so i think it, it's good to recognize that this is fear induced behavior right mm -hmm. when somebody comes at us you know anger is is generally a secondary emotion so anger is an intense reaction to an unmet need. But right now we have a lot of uh, similar unmet needs around, we want safety and security. <laughs> Those are basic needs, right? Right, And we don't have that. And so, you know, instead, when somebody comes at us with anger, our response is anger, right? So if you came at me with anger, I'd be like, where does she get off, right? Because it, it makes us defensive. But if you came at me and said, you know, gosh, I am just so scared right now, of course I wouldn't respond to you in anger. So mm -hmm. it's it's sort of, it's zooming out a little bit and recognizing that when we get these sort of angry outbursts from people, and there's so much of it right now, so much of it with whether you know you're doing this for COVID and, and the other person isn't, the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, all of these biases and and race wars that are kind of going on, right? Is recognizing and you know, we all get triggered. I get triggered too. I get triggered too. I'm a fierce social justice warrior. So I get, you know, I, I recognize that in myself. Mm -hmm. So recognizing your own stuff is a big piece of it, right? Yes. I'm a human yes. being first. I'm a I'm a therapist, but I'm a human being first. You know, I, I have my own emotional reactions to stuff. So it's it's you know, being curious about what's going on for you, right? Resisting the desire for certainty and just recognizing that you know we're all in this place of uncertainty and can we lean into the discomfort a little bit with some grace and recognize that if we're scared then our neighbors you know yes stand to reason our neighbors scared too well and that's something that um you know and i just want to acknowledge that um you know for those families and and people that are directly impacted by covid from a health perspective and you know i'd like to acknowledge them and my heart goes out to them as well. Uh, you know, touch wood, I have not been directly impacted from a health perspective with COVID. So, you know, the, the intense fear factor isn't there for me because I haven't visualized it other than what's on yeah. TV and the media. But yeah. I am constantly shocked when I have a conversation on Zoom, mostly with friends internationally in Australia and the UK and the US is everybody is impacted either their jobs yeah. are part-time or their job structure has completely changed. They're remote working, they're feeling isolated, they're fighting with their partner or they're struggling with parenting. Like I said, all those, all those things is everybody is directly impacted. One thing that you mentioned earlier that I'd love you to touch on is the call-out culture. What does that mean? And so, how can we so try that might mean that I'm scrolling on social media and I see that you post something like, all lives matter. You know, I might have a different response to that, but instead of pulling you aside and saying, hey, you know, have you considered X, Y, Z, 
instead I, you know, go on a tirade on your social media wall and, you know, shame the crap out of you and tell you that you know nothing and how dare you. Right. And so, you know, when it comes to these kind of things, we're all learning and growing. I, you know, even before the Black Lives Matter movement really happened this year, I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but when it really sort of um, with George Floyd's death, I belong to uh, a network of therapists called Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapists. It's a worldwide listserv that I belong to. And starting um, in about September, October last year, we've had this ongoing dialogue around white fragility. It has gotten heated. It has been absolutely fascinating and heartbreaking and so informative. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable. There's people of um, all different cultures and races, nationalities that are part of this listserv. And um, there has, you know, even amongst therapists, there's been some of this call out culture. And, you know, I think that we have to lean into the discomfort of being wrong because it's not like I have this belief. I know that some of the belief systems that I, I have that are embedded in me came from the system itself. It came from, you know, I, I grew up in a British household. I was raised in Canada. Um, I spent a lot of time um, living in the queer community. There's all of these things that impact our value and belief system. We think that they're uniquely our own, but they're not. They're really not. And so if we can just step back and not tell somebody else what their belief system is or what their experience has been or it how, how it should impact them, if we can just actually listen with some compassion and some um, and choose to uphold their dignity, you know, this is how we're going to get over these little barriers. I do a lot of work with um, First Nations people and I can I can tell you with 100% certainty that every session I do with a First Nations person, I learn something. And, and oftentimes it's heartbreaking, but I, I choose to lean into that discomfort so I can show up and do better. I don't get it perfect. Could you elaborate on the concept of white fragility? Um, so it's just recognizing that if somebody, you know, a, a gay pride parade or, you know, a Black Lives Matter protest or something like that, mm -hmm. where, you know, a white person may say, well, aren't you over it yet? And this is silly. And, you know, we don't have this. And, you know, well, that was my ancestors. It's, I never owned slaves. Well, of course you didn't. But right. that doesn't mean that we don't have... Um, systemic racism that still impacts all of us today, right? And right. intergenerational trauma that impacts all of us today. When I first started unpacking this, this stuff, I lived in uh, the Cowgen community about 10 years ago and was working in the, the Cowgen community. And I went through a, like a lot of shame. I really had to unpack a lot of stuff as more information became apparent to me that I didn't know enough about uh, Canada's First Nations history. And, you know, that that was part of me getting to the place that I'm at. And unfortunately, that's usually what happens is we have to go through sort of this very uncomfortable, holy crap, you know, not like, yes, I, you know, my parents, I'm first generation Canadian, my parents weren't colonizers, but we get <laughs> Their ancestors and, and their, you know, being right. British, they were colonizers. 
And I've, I've benefited, my entire family has benefited from being here on Canadian soil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to recognize what that means and right. the sacrifices that other people have had to bear. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, Canadian culture. You, you, one unique thing about um, the Canada's podcast is we interview entrepreneurs from across Canada. Yeah. And, you know, we do have a unique culture here. So, and you're here on Vancouver Island, you know, and, and there's different microcultures within a community. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the opportunities and maybe challenges that you have in doing business? Let's talk maybe first of all in Nanaimo, which is your, your current community, mm-hmm. and maybe even touch on Vancouver Island or, or BC in particular. So opportunities and challenges. Well, I'm a city girl and um, I've always lived in the downtown core of Vancouver. Mostly I lived in New York for a while, Um, but I, I have found Vancouver Island quite a challenge. Um, I I love it and I was willing to sort of fight to be here, but I have to say I didn't find it easy. I think that it's a hard community to um, make friends in. Uh, I hear this from a lot of my clients that have relocated from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hard place to find a job. And so those, those are legitimate struggles I, I personally encountered and I, I hear from my clients as well. Um, and I kind of share that with you. I'm not sure what it is, but why there's, and maybe it goes back to, and maybe that's why there's so many entrepreneurs here. <laughs> Maybe out of, ne- out of necessity, right? Create our own job, damn it. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about opportunities that you've seen, that you've experienced? I, you know, I'm struggling on that one because I feel like the opportunities that I've had, I've kind of created myself. You know, I had a, I've had a very clear vision of what I wanted for my practice. And, you know, I haven't necessarily been able to find it here in Nanaimo, but um, I do, a, I, as you know, I do a lot of professional training. I'm a bit of a training junkie. And so I create community, professional community that is all over the world. And so that enhances my practice. I personally, and I'll, this is a shout out to other therapists. I would love to have a community of therapists where we could do peer supervision or get together once a month and, mm-hmm. and debrief and talk about trends and stuff like that. But I, I, I have that online. Um, but I would love to have it in person. That's and the Network idea. Hub can accommodate that. That's <laughs> <great>. <laughs> Actually, and yesterday we just had a, um, a uh, podcast or a working webinar on creating a social impact wellness hub. And, um, you know, that, that topic of, of coming together was really important. So um, yeah. the importance of in-person, I think, is what we're all lacking right now, right? Big time. Yeah. And how do you see, I, I mean, how has how uh, this environment affected how you engage with your clients? Well, I'm, here I am talking about leaning into the discomfort and not being so rigid. When COVID first hit, I wasn't keen about doing online therapy. I fully admit it. I was like, oh God, this, you know, especially with the nature of the work I do. I do a lot of somatic psychotherapy, which is working with the body. And, you know, I, I work with the social engagement system. So I thought this isn't really going to translate very well. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised. I've had some incredibly uh, fruitful sessions online. I've been able to do some deeper work online that I didn't really think was possible. So that's been a bit of a plus. Yeah, it has. I I still much prefer 
being in physical contact with my clients. And I've heard the same thing from other therapists too, that we were sort of like, oh, I don't want to do this and, and gone, you know, hey, now that I've got the hang of it, I'm clients more comfortable. There is some kind of cool things about it too. So clients can use their, you know, their pet to help, you know, to help regulate themselves and, and, you know, they can curl up in their jammies if they want. And there's those kind of pieces that are neat. And maybe that, you know, being in a home environment or a comfortable environment um, allows them to be more relaxed than coming into a, yeah, right. Having to go through the effort of, of coming in to see a therapist, even though I've got to say you have the most colorful office ever. <laughs> I love it. I wish I could showcase it here. Fantastic. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard not to be comfortable with chocolate and beautiful, beautiful things around you in your office. So I love that. Yeah. Well, I try to make it very non-clinical. My office is, yes. is, uh, and one of the things, because I do specialize in trauma, is people that have had traumatic childhoods, it wasn't safe to develop sort of that childhood sense of joy and lightheartedness. And so I try to create that in my office. It's not a serious office right. at all. It's not clinical. I want people to, you know, take some delight in some silliness and, and some, you know, color and joy. It's a big part of healing from childhood trauma is to wow. um, is is play the concept of play. Now working remotely, I I would like to suggest if you haven't already realized this that suddenly the world is your oyster. Is is yeah. if you're getting to be comfortable with the online counseling, and I can imagine having your office as a virtual background, and and <laughs> you know you are absolutely delightful every day, but your environment is delightful, and I you know I would love to connect you with more people globally that could that could take advantage of your energy is amazing. You know, and it's really funny you say that because I've been getting so many messages lately of people that are all over the world that want to work with me, but I'm actually, I can't, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not insured to work globally and ah. I'm not licensed to work globally. So ah. it's one of those things. It's like, God, I'd love to, I got a, a message just this week from professional athlete actually. And he shared some of his story and it was like, Oh, he's like the perfect person for me to work with. But I can't. So that's <laughs> so, a red tape issue. How do we overcome that, Christine? What What's the... I don't know. The, and I mean, if, if I called myself like a life coach and stuff like that, then there's all sorts of ways around that. But mm. I just, you know, I, I have to work within my, the scope of my practice. And I certainly don't want to, I don't want to do anything that's unethical. Right. And so just, let's just talk about that. So it typically... As a, as a counselor, you're licensed within a geography. Is that how it works? Like a trade? Yeah. So it, it you know, and it's, it's brutal in Canada because each province has sort of different. Um, so we're actually unlicensed in BC. Anybody okay. can call themselves a counselor, which is terrifying. So you could put up a shingle and say, I'm a counselor. I'm a counselor. And so what happens is, you know, the general public assumes that we're all vetted in the same way, right? That we've, you know, we've undergone however many uh, clinical hours before certification and all of that. But the reality is that's not true. So there's somebody that could do, you know, a nine-month addictions counseling course and say that I, they're a counselor. And then there's somebody else that could do 10 years of university that's a counselor. If you don't know what those letters behind the name mean... Right. Then, so it's, it's one of those tricky things. So um, Alberta and Ontario um, have much better governing bodies than we do here. We've been pushing for like, I think, 
10 or 20 years in BC and they keep saying it's close, it's close, but that's something actually that the general public should be more aware of. Every councillor, myself included, we give you know a, a free 15, 20 minute phone call or, or check in or whatever. And, and those are great questions to bring to people. What is your training background? How many years did you go to school? Is there something you specialize in? Because it, you know, if we don't, if we, if we make the assumption, it's kind of like if you go to your GP, you know that he's, you know, a general practitioner, right? And you, you, you know that he's done, you know, X number of years of training, but it's not the same for the term counselor, unfortunately. When you referred to your license and it's not BC based. Well, it is BC based. So I'm a, okay. I'm a registered clinical counselor in BC. So BC, okay. ABC, uh, BC Association of Registered Clinical Counselors is what? Uh, my title is um, and yes we have to do you have to have a master's degree and they make sure that you've done specific courses like human development and psychopathology and can't even remember all of them marriage and family <laughs> counseling I think. big words <laughs> um, and you have to do so many hours so before i became a counselor i've actually done two thousand hours of free counseling wow which is interesting too right when you look at somebody like you know, um, in other fields, they actually get paid for those, you know, those internships. Right. Not, not with what I do. Right. Gotcha. Let's just kind of redirect back to on a personal note, what, uh, how do you refresh and recharge and uh, stay energized in order to be able to serve others? I like to do a lot of artwork. <laughs> um, I like to work with my hands. Uh, and, it, you know, it's an interesting thing because Currently, in the, in the midst of COVID, we're, we're noticing, they're doing some research on it. It's obviously very preliminary, but because this, these Zoom meetings and this kind of stuff, and we're constantly thinking about, did I get my mask? I've got to go to the store. Oh, did they take bags there? Or do I have to bring my own? We're constant. We're thinking more than we normally were, which is all of the, the uh, neocortex is part, of the, is part of the brain, which is really, really draining. And so what we need to do is sort of work within, um, we, we want to tap into anything that's creative. So whether it's gardening or knitting or cooking mm -hmm. or baking or painting and these kind of things, you know, nature, I know you're a nature lover. Those are the ways that we can recharge. We need to really simplify things down so we actually can, can maximize the neocortex when we need to. And so you personally, I, I mean, I'll give you, give Give you a plug that your color endorses our walls or is adorned <laughs> on our walls right now at, at the co-working space but um also and and we're going to probably be doing some painting um <laughs> but is there anything from a motivational inspirational point of view that you could suggest to people to read or a source of of inspiration that you take on that you'd love to share with others well i have a Facebook page, Black Sheep Counseling, I post a lot of stuff there and I tend to get inspired by the things that I'm seeing in my office. So if I have a bunch of people in my office that are talking about something specific, then I will, you know, sometimes I'll write a blog or I'll find content that, that speaks to what's showing up. But, you know, don't, you don't just have to follow me, follow other, I'm not on Instagram, but follow therapists on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, those are really, really helpful sources and it's free. Why not? And then it could spur you onto something else, right? You might think, oh, I didn't even know that maybe these are some of the issues I'm contending with. And there's a book recommendation here. 
Is there anything that you're reading right now? Uh, I'm actually reading <laughs> Ethical Porn for Dicks. <laughs> ah, okay. What is that one all about? There's uh, always a battle uh, with porn in, um, I would say, pretty much all of my couples uh, counseling. And it becomes this whole thing about how dare you and, you know, human trafficking and it's demeaning to women and all of this kind of stuff. You know, the reality is a lot of porn is right. And so I think then it becomes this whole thing about values and beliefs and human rights and dignity. But there, you know, there needs to be another conversation about rather like, again, steering away from the black and white uh, way of thinking and looking at it through the lens of is there ethical porn? Actually, there is. There is. And so can we explore that? And can that be part of the conversation rather than how dare you when um, I'm going to bloody well do it? Right. Right. So I think that that needs to be a conversation. That's one that I'm fostering in a lot of my couples uh, counseling right now. I'll just throw out there that I think a whole nother podcast and conversation <laughs> around sexuality and sensuality and the, the, you know, it's a basic human need and, and our is. culture has, you know, suppressed it or, or, you know, it's become objectified in so many ways. And yet it's, it's something that we all need to tap into. Um, yeah, it's not going to go away. I mean, when we look <laughs> at ancient civilizations, you know, we look at Pom the walls of Pompeii and stuff like that. I mean, they had porn on their walls. So right. it's not that porn is a new thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that is another conversation for us to have later. But so from today, how can people get a hold of you, Christine? The best way is, uh, well, they can email me at christine at blacksheepcounseling.com. They can check out my website, www.blacksheepcounseling.com. And counseling is spelled the Canadian way with two L's. All my American um, therapist friends always spell it wrong. Um, you can check out my Facebook page. Um, you can call or text me at 250-667-228. Or you can pop into the network hub and say hi to Angie and ask if I'm in. <laughs> awesome. Christine, it has been an absolute pleasure. We talked about a lot of different things today, but I think super relevant and, and very apt for this day and age. It has been a pleasure. I always get super energized talking to you. So. <laughs> Yeah, thanks same. again for joining us on the podcast. Okay, thanks, Ange. Bye. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to British Columbia's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Angela Fay. See you next time.